Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with good measure. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time, knowing that really all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Hello, welcome to the Here We Go podcast. Slightly different format for you tonight. In that, uh, we convened uh, myself, Martin and Aaron Greve last week ahead of the St. Mary's Cup tie to uh, have a look back at the Kilmarnock game and the Ross County game uh, and look ahead to the St. Mary's Cup tie at the weekend. But we weren't able to edit that and get that out ahead of the St. Mary's game. So what we've done is that we reconvened this afternoon, Sunday afternoon, to also talk about what transpired down in Paisley last night. So you hear both halves of that conversation, the before and the after, and you'll be able to see immediately how right or otherwise we were in our preview. So, uh, without further ado, Martin can take us away. Hello and welcome once again to the Here We Go podcast, your Aberdeen Football Club podcast. No shells, no adverts, and only the dandies. If you want to hear Aberdeen fans talking about how great Celtic are, this is not the show for you. So anyway, joining me, Martin Clunas, this week, as always, is the bright, chirpy and always wonderful Richard Hay. How are you, Richard? Bright, you are bright and chirpy because that's how I always am, apparently. And also joining us this week, we have a, a regular, an almost a regular on this podcast as well, but somebody else who can hopefully bring some brightness to at least part of the podcast that won't be a very happy discussion. That's Erin Grieve. How are you, Erin? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. That is no problem at all. So we're going to get right into the, the discussion anyway. We've got a lot to discuss. We obviously have Kilmarnock, we have Ross County, and we have, well, the Scottish Cup, which is my favourite subject to look forward to, as always. Uh, but we're going to get right into that, that well, Richard, I'll say mental, crazy Kilmarnock game. Uh, now, we are guilty of sounding like a broken record here. Once again, for most of a for most of a match, our goal threat and our creativity was was pretty much anonymous, wasn't it? Well, I think we need to break it down a little bit further because there was the the first forty five minutes when obviously we looked to reintroduce the um, three four three or three six one or whatever the hell it was that. Uh, we used against Hamilton. We used to. Uh, we tried to reintroduce that against uh, Kilmarnock in the first forty-five minutes. Having gone back to a flatter back four against Celtic the weekend before, it just got completely nullified. It should have been the case that we had the extra man in the middle up against their kind of two dogs of war in the middle of the park in Power and Dicker, and you know that that should have been an advantage. It's one of Kilmarnock's key strengths is those two in the middle of the park. But it just seemed that we weren't able to get our foot in the ball. We weren't able to get control of the game. 
and we absolutely weren't able to create chances in the same way that we had done against Hamilton the week before. I wouldn't say we were looking shaky at the back in that first half. Um, it, it just was such a, a non-event, such a nondescript 45 minutes, a horrible drudgery of a stalemate. Um, and then they get a goal because of a monumental bit of, bit of slackness on our behalf. Um, I mean, it's, it's put right in the corner. Joe Lewis can't really do anything about it. And at that point, we look in deep, deep trouble because in that first 45 minutes, we had shown no inclination that we were going to score once, let alone the fact that we ended up scoring four times. So the change that had to happen at halftime, I mean, obviously it was a bold and dramatic change to make the three subs at halftime, but it was, it was evident that something drastic had to change because the setup simply wasn't providing the um, solutions that it had done the week before. And Aaron, Richard's right to mention those changes there. I mean, at, no, at half-time, he takes off McGeek, he takes off Bryson, and we see the introduction of Logan and Campbell. Going to, going to probably what would we say is a more, uh, we say traditional sort of, sort of line-up we're more used to, you know, not actually playing with a right-back, for example. But, um, I mean, obviously they score right before half-time. Now, in, you know, we'll come to Ross County very soon, and we'll discuss about conceding at really inopportune times. Um, but Sir, we've come out for the second half. You know, really did know he's, he's made three changes at half time. That really was. I heard, I read a few people saying that it was, you know, McInnes really, real, re, perhaps realizing that, you know, this could be his you know, final throw. The dice is already manager. No, I wouldn't go that far at all. Um, but it certainly was. It was. It was a strange one to see. It, no, it was not something I don't think we've seen before from him. You're basically saying I've picked the wrong team at the beginning, but I've got a better idea now. I think the um, kind of four at the back is bizarre that we spent, what, a million pounds, close to a million pounds on a right back. And what well, A, he hasn't played, although I don't know if I'm that fussed about that. But all of a sudden, he's gone to three at the back. And it's as though he just doesn't want to play. I don't know if he just doesn't want to play Hernandez. But it's as though he says, I mean, is he saying to Cormac, oh, I don't want him, I, I always play three at the back, I never play right back, it's bizarre. The whole shape looked weird. It, it, it was just odd. I mean, Taylor's actually all right um, in terms of covering my back. I think Taylor's actually been excellent since he's been back. Um, but having basically no one on the right will pull the play over. And what happens is you end up with gaps. And it, basically at the St. Johnston home game, because Hernandez was so high up and obviously just wasn't able to get back, Taylor and McKenna both get pulled out of position and it's a mess. So I think the four at the back made a difference. I think Logan changed that whole game. I think Logan and McGinn were excellent up the right side. I think McGee and Bryson were both poor. I think Bryson is dreadful. But I think three subs at half time is a little bit risky. I think we could have got away with not putting Campbell on just to save a substitution. Matty Kennedy picked up an injury and then another knock and looked absolutely done. You know, at the end of 90 minutes. And I think... I was surprised we didn't see Hedges come on for him. So I think using three subs at half time is a pretty bold move. I don't. I think Logan should be on from the start, and I think that would have saved a, a few problems. We didn't look tidy at the back at all. It looked scrappy, and you can afford that if you can score enough goals. But we didn't look like there was a goal coming from anywhere at all. I mean, obviously, it's a risky move. It's a risky strategy, and been looking through the records, obviously. 
Um, it's only been a limited amount of time that you've been able to use three subs anyway in normal time, but it, it seems like it's the first time that's, that's ever happened to have used all three subs tactically at halftime. I don't think we can knock him trying to employ that system on Wednesday night because we spoke about it last week and we spoke about how Kamarnik playing two up front almost invites us to consider the three again. And we, we had come off a game at Hamilton where we looked really quite comfortable and quite fluent, as fluent as we've been in many, many weeks anyway, playing with that system of three at the back. So I don't think we can necessarily, necessarily criticise him for giving uh, that a go. I think in a home game that he kind of employed a three at the back as well, except the wing-backs hadn't been quite as adventurous as they were on Wednesday night. Um, obviously, we had Kennedy and McLennan starting as the wing-backs in the, in the replay, whereas in the first game, I think it was Logan and Campbell, wasn't it? That um, After the start, um, after we changed it after about 20 minutes, I think Logan and Campbell were, were sort of playing the wing-back role. So, again, the personnel in there leads to a, a sort of different... Uh, application of that system I think but no the change was absolutely needed and um, you know I thought we'd miss Ojo and we did miss Ojo but Dean Campbell came on and he played very well Shea Logan came on and he played very very well Matty Kennedy um, I thought for 90 minutes he looked a bit lost and then he got his goal and that kind of seemed to flick a switch a little bit and let's hope that's the that's the starting gun for um, an improved some improved performances in red but no the, the changes. Was it a last throw of a dice? It's that's an interesting question. It was, it was an all or nothing strategy. That's for sure. It's absolutely if it had gone wrong, which it was within about two minutes of having gone wrong, because even in that second half we had more control. But that's partly I think because because Kilmarnock were go ahead, they had something to cling on to, so they were dropping deeper uh, and less willing to come out and contest the ball in the middle of the park. But I. Did we have a shot on goal before we got the equaliser? I'm not sure we did. Control was one thing, but you need to be creating the chances. And even with the two up top, very, very little happening in that top. And it was is as if we were playing with so much fear, which has really, again, been the case for weeks and weeks and weeks. Just a fear of making a bad pass, a fear of something not coming off if you're trying to be inventive. It's just inhibited and fearful the way we're playing right now and the way we approach most of the game last Wednesday night. Really, it was, it was just grit and determination that dug us out of that hole as much as anything else. But when we got that equaliser, the first equaliser, Constantine's goal, I, I didn't see it coming. I thought we were done for. I thought we were done for. Yeah, Richard, I mean, it, it did look like it was over. I mean, we were really, you know, it, it goes without saying, we were saved by that, you know, two minutes two minutes before the end. Um, but Aaron, I mean, it was a complete gift from the, from the Kilmarnock defence. Um, you know, you know, Andy, Andy Considine is, you know, is is very, very capable you know, from set pieces when he's in the box as well. But he'll he'll probably, in, in the rest of his Aberdeen career, hell, in his time so far in Aberdeen, he's probably never found himself in that much space in a box. I thought McGinn's cross was really good. And having watched it about a million times, it is perfect cross. Andy Constantine obviously knows what he's planning to do. It looks quite well rehearsed, which is nice because I often wonder what they're doing in training other than getting injured. So it looks as though we practice something <laughs> that isn't short corners. And it was a really nice cross in from quite a good position. We gave people a bit of shot from there, a nice cross in. And I don't know if Kamarnik's defence were just tired and a bit panicky and so weren't maybe as focused as they should have been because Andy Constantine's run is I mean no one picks him up at all and it was great and he deserved that as well and taking us that's two cups he saved us in 
Well, it's not going to run, is it? it? I don't think that, that he does much to create the space. What does happen, though, is Ferguson makes a run to the near post, and that seems to drag the man who I think had responsibility for marking Considine away from him. And I think you're right to highlight uh, the quality of the cross ball, Erin. You know, we did actually have quite a few opportunities from, from dead balls over the course of the evening to put something decent in the box. And actually, about five minutes before that, Considine probably missed a, an easier chance, a better but chance. But the header that went over the bar? With a header from a corner, yeah. yeah. You're thinking, oh, that's the chance, it's gone. Yeah, you can absolutely say good cross ball, sensible run by Ferguson. But yeah, the marking was poor. And it was just the, the sort of start of a series of pretty extraordinary mistakes by both sides defensively in extra oh. time. And whether it was um, fear or tiredness or... Uh, just a sort of general malaise hanging around the place. I don't know, but it, yeah, a comedy of errors. A mental hopper. Yeah, well, you just you mentioned, um, shall we say, well, we'll call it some curious defending. Kilmarnock's second and third goals there. I mean, a, a silly free kick to give away um, for Brophy to knock it to score a free kick, which was a which was a good free kick as well. Um, anything from you're going to beat Lewis from that distance, it has to be good. Um, and then I'm not quite no. I've watched it over and I've watched that quite a few times, and I'm still not quite sure what Michael Devlin thought he was doing for their third one to give Kabamba the chance just to tap in from an inch out. Um, and at that point, Richard, we just, I, I thought, definitely at that point, I thought, now we're dead and buried. Well, I'm going to talk about our equaliser first, Martin, which, which you, for some reason, ignored. Um, <laughs> um, obviously, we get the goal later on in extra time, and you're thinking, right, few, first of all, but you're also thinking, right, surely momentum is a huge thing in football, and surely it's with us. And you get that goal within a couple of minutes of the start of extra time, and it's, for the first time all night, it's uh, the front two working in tandem really quite well. Cosgrove wins a flick on, Main gets something away. It's kind of it loops up, but after it's been half blocked into Matty Kennedy and Kennedy again doing what an attacking player should be doing, following up, being in the box, being there, and is able to reap the rewards. And you just think at that point, right, great, we've escaped, we've done it, because it should have been the signal not quite to set up shop, but. Again, Kilmarnock up to that point hadn't really caused us that many problems. There was one, um, a chance in the second half that Brophy had, um, which Joe Lewis stood up well to to save. And then, of course, actually, after we equalised normal time, both sides had a tremendous chance to win it in normal time. It just seemed that that Considine goal really was the trigger for 32, 33 minutes of absolute madness. So, yeah, we go 2-1 up and, and you're thinking, you're not quite thinking it's done, but you're thinking, right... We're going to be on sure ground here. We've got the lead. We know what to do in this situation. Yeah, I think Joe Lewis, to annoy David Priest, should be doing better with that free kick. Um, oh, I think so too. He's, I think he's expecting it to come around the wall. It, it's like his weight has transferred that side. It's not. He doesn't take a step or anything. If you look at him, he doesn't take a step away from it. But I think he's expecting it around the wall. Brophy goes over the wall. And I think just because of that weight transference, because his expectation is for the shot to his left-hand side, it goes to his right, and he's not quite able to get strong enough um, hands on it. You don't know what to think at 2-2. Obviously, it's right back in the melting pot. And the third goal, yeah, as you said, Martin, just, just horrendous. Uh, Dean Campbell doesn't do well enough. Andy Considine, frankly, doesn't do well enough either to prevent the cross coming in. It's schoolboy stuff for Michael Devlin. It really is. You can't even really blame tiredness. He'd only been on the pitch about five minutes by that point. You know, whereas the others might, after 105 minutes, be be sort of pointing to fatigue. Devlin hasn't got that excuse. 
it's actually a good start from Lewis to stop it going in in the first instance, uh, but he's obviously helpless when the, the rebound not, gets knocked in. And that's with, what, two minutes to go? Uh, you, well, maybe a bit more than that. I think it was four. Four. Wasn't it? Four minutes to yeah. go. And um, you, you just can't see it. You can't see us lightning striking twice and us getting out of jail twice in the same evening because it doesn't work that way, does it? And again, momentum is huge. Come on, have it. We mentally must be absolutely on the floor. You're just, yeah, you're, you're writing you're writing the manager's um, epitaph, basically. Yeah, and I thought it was my fault because at 25 something on the board, I messaged in our like group chat because obviously there was the UEFA blackout, so no one could watch it. And I said, oh, this is pretty tense. As long as Kelly don't score, I think we'll be all right. There's no way we've got another goal in us. And then the goal went in. So obviously all my friends were saying, this is your fault. Um, it was absolutely Michael Devlin's fault. Some of the worst defending I've seen in my life. That man's a professional footballer. It was so poor. But at 3-2, you just think, we have been so lucky. Mike Kennedy's goal was good, but it was very early on. Conti's was luck. At 3-2, people were leaving. At 3-2, it was done. And then just absolutely mad. Well, I'm sure there were people leaving with like five minutes to go uh, in normal time as well. Yeah. And that, uh, that will be a story to tell. Shouldn't be allowed back. Um... <laughs> But, Man yeah, City, QPR, you don't leave early, it's ridiculous. Nothing can prepare you for, for what came next, because the sort of laziest and cheapest allegation you ever see on Twitter is, um, well, the two of them, is either, you know, player X isn't trying or isn't lifting a leg, or it's the manager has lost the dressing room, which is usually utter bollocks. And I think that those last few minutes and the reaction of those players to actually get themselves up off the canvas produce those goals from, from nothing and okay it's it's from asking the question and it's from poor Kilmarnock defending but it's from keeping going it's just from having the heart and having the desire and having the the, the will to keep on going and keep on fighting it's, it's a good bit of play by Ferguson to um, to win the penalty because the manager actually afterwards got the spot on he said the simple thing for Ferguson to do when he picked up the ball on the edge of the box would have been just to lay it off to Shea Logan she would have floated over probably a nothing cross. It would have been cleared and that would have been it. But no, Ferguson didn't play the percentages. He he drove into the box. He beat a guy. He got into a decent crossing position. He made an arse of the cross right enough. But he then gets wiped out by a sort of a, a rush of blood to the head almost as uh, large as Michael Devlin had produced a few minutes before at the other end um, from Scotland International, um, Stuart Finlay. Can you, can you imagine, uh, just to recall back... Russia um, last um, October. Scotland centre half partnership were those two donkeys, were Devlin and Finlay. Jesus. Anyway, was, was that not after Devlin's horrific performance at Tynecastle as well? Which makes it more bizarre. Exceptionally panicky thing for for Finlay to do in that situation because again he's right on the touchline. He's done well to work some space in the box, but it's not an immediate danger. And uh, and Finlay just goes in and wipes them out. And and actually credit to the referee because quite. Quite frequently in those scenarios, because the ball was long gone, it, you know, he would just ignore the fact that the foul has taken place. So actually credit to the referee for giving it. And Cosgrove does his job. I, I'm not going to say it was a, a brilliant penalty is any penalty that's scored. If it goes down the middle uh, and the keeper drives out of the way, fine. You've scored it. Brilliant penalty. Well done. That's it. Surely at 3-3, that's it. It's going to be penalty kicks. We'll, we'll take our chances. No, I, I just cannot cannot explain really what happened next. Aaron, you can try. Well, Cosgrove's penalty was stressful because if he'd missed it, we were pretty much at the whistle. And 
I actually think I think he has been completely uh, he's been a completely different player after Christmas. He has this like the way he walks around the pitch is as though he doesn't realise we're actually in a game. I really like him. I actually thought that from the start of last season he looked a different player. He looked skillful. He had all these kind of like tra- he wasn't just kind of standing about and being lucky and banging goals. He was actually playing really well. He runs. He will run for about 10 seconds. He runs like I run when I'm getting a train to Glasgow and then I realised I missed it and the next one's in 50 minutes so I can just stop. It's absolutely bizarre. He just doesn't... He doesn't look as though he is aware that there is an actual game happening and he's meant to be doing something. He has been very odd recently and I think that the pressure on him standing there must have been horrendous because he was obviously the person who was going to take it. And they must discuss this before the game, and he must practice them. And I don't, I can't actually think of any penalties he's missed other than the Tyne Castle shootout one. But standing there, knowing that he's in front of our fans, and this is basically it, I think he actually took it really well. I think, um, well, I would have hoped, although Saturday shows otherwise, that it would be good for his confidence and that it would have maybe been a turning point. I think he did really well with it. What I really liked is that he went straight to pick the ball up back to the centre circle, thinking we could maybe get something here, press on. I think no players want penalties, but to be honest, as soon as that went in, I think there was just a relief that, right, we're going to penalties. And then you, all you hear is everyone start talking about who's going to be taking them. I know it can't be so again. And people saying, you know, who's it going to be? I don't think anyone dreamt that a fourth goal was going in ever. We hadn't scored. Other than Hamilton, we'd scored one goal in open play. We'd scored, we hadn't scored from open play since Boxing Day until Hamilton. And... I just don't think anyone anyone thought that was happening. It was it was the best game of the season for me by a long way. And the other best game of the season was the Hearts on the opening day, which says a lot about our season. I just I thought it was fantastic. And everyone, no matter how much they'd been shouting at people, moaning about Derek McInnes, whatever, it was that moment where actually you don't care, your team's won and it's great. And people on Twitter might have seen the horrendous bruise I got from those horrific killy seats. Um, but it's one of those ones where everyone is just delighted. You, people are crying. I cried. It's great. The magic of the cup, the highs, the lows, and the thrills of the cup. And it would be nice if we could have just won two 0 a normal time and everyone gone home. But it was a it was a memorable, really good game. And I think a good advert Scottish football. That and the game the night before, excellent. And no one can watch them because they had to watch Spurs lose one 0 no, it's not something that um, has any, I think, relative in the 30-odd years of uh, that I've been watching this football club in terms of just ridiculousness, um, how the scoring pattern went, when the goals came, just how it panned out. It wasn't a great game, I think, in terms of quality of football or anything like that, but just that drama, that ridiculousness, that um, the turn of events, the way things just swung in those last few minutes... Just crazy. I think the, the, the sort of only sort of vague similarity was when we won 7-3 at Morton um, in the League Cup about 20 years ago. We we were 2-0 up in cruising and then lost three goals in the last 10 minutes and we're heading out until we score as more or less the last kick of normal time and then score four goals in extra time. But it certainly didn't have the swings and the drama that uh, last Wednesday had. And that winner... I mean, yeah, there's your left-back in the box in the 119th minute. He's been up and down that wing, trying to make things happen. Um, This is a guy who a lot of people don't think can play left-back as well. Um, He gets the break of the ball. He doesn't just let it run out for a goal kick and say, OK, penalty kicks are coming up shortly. He busts a gut to keep it in. He fires in a... 
you know, a ball at a decent pace, at an awkward height. It should have been dealt with, of course it should have been dealt with, but because he's kept asking the question, because we've kept asking the question, we get something from it. And it's it's just pandemonium, pandemonium after that. It, it, it just wherever you were, however you heard the news, it just must have been just must have been remarkable. And it, it, yeah, it was just I suppose running the you know running the Twitter account. It was just one of those nights where everyone is is euphoric and just amazed by it and just uh, drinking in the sort of joy of of the sport and of the game and why we love this football club. I guess they also do a really nice pie at Tilly, and I enjoyed that as well. Okay, thanks, Erin. Uh, Shall we bring you back more often for Pie Watch, or is it just Tilly? <laughs> they do a really good. They do do a really good pie. Right. Really I, I personally think it's overrated, but that's just me. I'm hoping yeah. Dunfermline will make it back up for their Brady. But um, are they good? That's obviously not a pie, so uh, that's that's straying from your uh, core demographic. Really, clearly, uh, that's exactly why we bring you on the show. Erin. Thank you. Four, it was look, it was four three. There was late drama. There was a delicious pie. Absolutely excellent night. Time of my life. Yeah, just for the record out there, if anyone, um, for you as those of you listening, the official um, Here We Go podcast stance is that the Killy Pie is a myth and it's the Steak Bridey at um, East End Park is the way forward. Um, I, I'm fully on board with Richard in that one as well. I think we've said that before, Richard. I, I think I would also yeah. give a shout out, you know, if, we, if we're if we doing this, which it appears we are doing this, I would also <laughs> have, to, have to give a, a shout out <laughs> to the, is it, uh, the Chirizo and... Um, oh, it's St Johnston. Yes, Chirizo and Phenomenal. St Johnston. I'd also have to give... But that's apparently on rotation, so it's not a, not a regular starter. It's a special. The other is so. a chicken curry for there, and it's very good too. <laughs> Okay, right. Uh, yeah, regular segment as from this week. Excellent. Okay. And so that that brings this week's Master Chef segment to a close. Yeah, the, the the game it was it was it was unbelievable. No matter where you were, whether you were just stuck at home, suffering the UEFA blackout, or whether you were there, it was um, wow. I do want to say, Richard, that you know he was Constantine got a lot of criticism after the Celtic game for their winner. Um, I know we did, and we spoke about it last week. You know, when, you know some people are, well, what's he doing that far up the pitch? You know, he is trying to get the winner here. As you say, it absolutely paid off. Um, you know, Considine has been has been you know, this season. Yes, there has been you know, a few mistakes here and there, but he has been vital to our team this season. I think this is the best season he has had in a while. Player of the season, one hundred percent for me. I think he's been fantastic. I also think he's not a left back, not really. I know people say. Oh, but no, he would like he would like to play centre half. He looks like he's comfortable there and happy there. When he was playing there, when we had Greg Lee and Max Lowe, he looks as though that is his preferred position. But he will just do like if Derek said to him, "You're playing up front next week," he would just do it with a smile on his face because he absolutely loves the club. And I think that is more important than anything else. He absolutely plays the shirt week in week out. You, he doesn't really have bad. He never looks like he can't be bothered. And his face when that fourth goal went, oh, absolutely delighted. I'm so pleased for him because I think he takes a lot of stick that's not deserved and he has been phenomenal recently. I want to nail this left-back thing because um, this whole he's not a proper left-back. He is He is a proper left-back. He's seen off a lot of pretenders to the throne at left-back since Derek McInnes arrived here seven years ago. And what he is not, he is not a new style sort of forward-thinking, attacking left-back. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't contribute with a healthy number of assists or goals from left-back. And again, obviously, we saw that um, last Wednesday night when he got the assist for the winner. Sure, some games... 
good wingers are going to get better of them. That's their job. We'd be quite annoyed if Nam again or whoever's playing in our wing didn't get the better of the opposition fullback. You know, it is, it's meant to be a tussle. It's meant to be a game. Kozadang contributes very, very well at left-back. And whilst, yes, I'm sure he would rather be in the team at centre-half, I think he is um, probably just more effective for the, for the team at left-back as it currently stands. I think he's been our best defender this season. Unfortunately, unfortunately, um, unfortunately, I don't think that's really no much, much very high praise though. Um, you know, we've had we've had decent performances from you know from Taylor here and there. McKenna has been very patchy. You know, the less said about Devlin, the better. But yeah, no, Considine has been far and far and above our our no head head and shoulders above the rest of the defence this season. So post match, well, post match pre pre Ross County, uh, Derek McInnes came out and said that Aberdeen. Need have to treat the remaining Scottish Premiership games like cup ties in a remain aim to cement third place. So Richard, um, so how did that go wrong? Well, we did treat it like a cup tie, except we treated it like a cup tie under Jimmy Calderwood. Um, <laughs> listen again, it's 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 been a it's been a strange year because there have been every second week there's been kind of ups. I recall from last few podcasts. Obviously, we were relatively. Positive after Hamilton and even the Celtic game last week. I recall after the transfer deadline signing of Hernandez and then the draw at Ibrox, we were relatively positive. There's been, you know, points that this year, even though the performances have drastically tailed off, where green shoots emerging and you've got something to cling to. But yeah, it, it, it's getting drastic for league form. It's it's really dipped from. I mean, it was mediocre coming into 2018, and and now we're we're looking at we're looking at poor, we're looking at uh, pretty poor, at least in relative terms. You know, by the end of the season, we might still finish third. I'm not one really to cling too much to league places. For me, it's always going to be about the sort of points tally you put on board. Whereas last season, we finished fourth, and a lot of people got very very upset at that. I felt 67 points, which we ended up achieving, is more or less par for the sort of budget we've got against the budgets of the other teams in the league. So I wasn't terribly annoyed. Sure, you could point to individual games here and there where we where we threw away points, and you always want us to do better, always. But you know, I wasn't hugely annoyed that we, um, you know, where we ended up finishing. I thought the points tally was kind of roughly an average, roughly a sort of par season. This season we might end up finishing third, but it'll kind of be by default because we'll be. Ending up probably about fifteen or twenty points down, even on uh, even on last season. So we're well, maybe not twenty because that would just be another six points to the end of the season. But who knows with the way things are, way things are panning out right now. We're going to be significantly off, basically, where we were last season. And last season was obviously the lowest of uh, Dent McInnes's time in charge. So it's uh, it's a concern. It's a deep concern. And the past six games in which we've only taken five points, even more so. It's not just the fact that we're not taking the points, it's who and where we're not taking the points against. Since the turn of the year, home games against Motherwell, St Johnston and Ross County. Defeat in all three. That, I I don't care if this sounds arrogant, that should be an automatic nine points for any side with our budget playing those three times. Add those three teams' playing budgets together, you probably still don't reach our playing budgets. Yes, it's difficult trying to break down teams that come here and sit in and want to frustrate you. We know that. We've watched it for a good number of years. But the onus is on you. The onus is on you as Aberdeen players to have the resilience 
and the balls to do that. The onus is on you as the Aberdeen manager to set us up with an attacky enough side to be able to overcome that. The onus is on you as Aberdeen manager to pick the right players to do that. Other people's form is kind of irrelevant here, but even if we just won those three games, because obviously there's a game against Motherwell in that, we would currently be 11 points clear of Motherwell. We'd be 11 points clear in third place. The conversation would be pretty much over and we still wouldn't be having a good season. It would still just be chundling along a couple of points below what we accrued last season. And there would still be a debate about the manager's future. But the, the whole kind of who's going to finish third, it would be done. The conversation would be over. And um, it, it's really frustrating to be on the back of what was a really positive evening to come crashing back down to earth um, at home to Ross County again. And um, it was entirely self-inflicted. Entirely self-inflicted. And I'm not going to put all the blame here on Dean Campbell, although I think that a remarkable um, error that he made in the course of the game. A, a lot of apologists have been on claiming that you know he was harshly booked for either of them. No, he's not. It's two of the simplest and most straightforward yellow cards you will ever see. Um, a lot of other people... Are, we're on to us about with a whole series of what about me. You know, why didn't the Ross County guy get booked for handling the ball? Because it's not a boot, it's not an automatic yellow card anymore. Oh, if Scott Brown had done that, he would have got away with it. Well, maybe he would have done, but Dean Campbell didn't and shouldn't have done. There were yellow card offences. Yes, he's 18, but he'll have been playing, you know, football by 11 aside rules for a good eight years. He knows exactly what the rules are. He knows exactly what the game is about. That he will end up costing his team in that scenario. But what was equally costly was that bizarre decision to, you know, we will go up at the time Dean Campbell went off and we kept with Curtis Main in centre midfield and kept San Cosgrove on. That was, that was just bizarre. I, I can only think that McInnes' thinking was that he is desperate to get Cosgrove motoring again. Absolutely desperate because, of course, the substitution should have been immediately after the sending off it should have been Cosgrove off, presumably, because Maine had scored and Maine was looking busy. Cosgrove off and McGeoch on. But that didn't materialise. didn't materialise at all. It smacked of disrespect towards Ross County and it, it got the result, frankly, it deserved. I thought that actually Curtis Maine had an alright game in the kind of midfield area. But I agree it seemed bizarre because I think Sam Cosgrove was largely a waste of a player. Um, I don't know, <laughs> did you see Scott McKenna shouting at him? After, there's a pass from Conti, maybe it was kind of down the left, and Sam Cosgrove sees the ball, obviously just thinks, don't fancy running for that. Do you see Scott McKenna screaming at him? It was, it was obviously that you can normally never hear them shouting at each other on the pitch, but it was a quiet moment, it was quite awkward. Scott McKenna, in fairness though, um, I think a lot of people were quite pleased about that, and then he had a few shockers of his own. So I think he should be making sure his own house is in order and all that. But I think, I mean, he was right. Sam Cosgrove should be running. A, you know, balls sail past him and he just looks at them. I, Curtis Main looks busy, you're right. And Curtis Main's maybe not actually doing much, but look as though you are and people won't think you're rubbish. Sam Cosgrove just stands about now. Put forward this argument, it's often about Niall again, and it's utter nonsense. Just because, you know, a player might shrug his shoulder as a ball sails miles over his head, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Niall again tries hard though. I really like that. I think Amagid's outstanding. I think he's having his best season in ages as well. I think Sam Cosgrove just looked on Saturday like he had no ideas 
and he just didn't look involved in the game again. He's there's a lot of standing about. I think it's okay. It's perfectly fine to say that Cosgrove isn't in form and he is regressed back to where he was when he first came here. All the stuff he was doing Bizarre. before he was even scoring goals, he doesn't appear to be uh, succeeding in doing that. It's perfectly fair to make those comments, but I, I, I just think the whole "oh, he's lazy, he doesn't run, he doesn't do," you know, he doesn't look interested. I, I just think that's the most stupid bollocks that you get on that you get on social media or you get in a conversation about football because it's it's usually nonsense if a ball is sailing over his head if a ball is going to just fire through to the keeper why would you run just a little bit more running just a little bit he just i think I if you look at, exactly, i think he just looked like he wasn't involved in the game because he just didn't he didn't seem to know where he was meant to be which probably didn't help and I think him and Curtis Main up front is probably not a bad idea of playing two of them. I like a four-four-two, and Curtis Main obviously went into midfield. So it just looks a little. It looked very disjointed. And I think the the obvious substitution would have been just to take him off and shore up the midfield a little bit because Ross County. I agree it should be an easy three points, but it doesn't mean it will be. You can't assume that because we're one 0 up it'll just be fine. No, no, but there's an element of taking your medicine there. There's an element of the fact that you have something to to hold on to. A lot of Dermot McInnes' early success, both here and at St. Johnston, was built on teams that were hard to break down and teams that were all about holding on to a lead once you've got them. So, you know, there's an element of take your medicine. You've had the red card. I think that the support would understand if you went back to a sort of one-up top and um, more defensive mm-hmm. scenario. Uh, narrow things, funnel stuff through the middle, try and uh, close down the space where you can. Yeah, just take your medicine. It, it just, it did. It smacked a disrespect to to keep Main on a midfield there. Obviously, the intention was that he would still get forward and try and support uh, Cosgrove. But yeah, I, I can only think, as I say, just to repeat, to repeat myself, that he is so desperate to get Cosgrove firing again that he wanted to give him more game time. I said at first I thought it was unfair, but I didn't say it on Twitter, so actually no one knew about it, although now everyone does know about it. But having seen them, it, it was two yellow cards. But it's not going to be, he won't miss Saturday, and it will teach him a, le- a lesson because he will, I mean, the first one was just silly, it was completely needless. There's not, nothing to worry about, there's no need for that challenge. So it will, hopefully, um, he will learn from it. But I agree, he should know by now, he's been a professional footballer for what, 10 years, he should know by now. It's something that you hope that you know he will learn from, and you'll learn to maybe be a bit cuter um, and sort of pick his moments where the first, the first one was the first one was 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 needless. Second one was just silly, um, and it's it comes from. I mean, I, I don't want to say it comes from not knowing the rules. It just comes from doing something silly, maybe a little rush of blood to the head, and hopefully, hopefully, you will learn from it. I did, we mentioned earlier on about conceding goals at awful times. Forty-three minutes, um, Richard Billy Mackay, who is you know at, at, at Scottish Premier League level, um, is a is a perfectly adequate striker. Knows where the back of the net is. He scored lots of goals. Um, you know, we allow we seem to allow Ross County to pass the ball around us, um, and then. This a ball into the box where just no, there was nobody seems to challenge for it. I think Considine should have been picking Mackay up, and he scores, and we find ourselves a man down, and then drawing at half time. Uh, just, just, just lazy that, isn't it? It, it would have been a bad goal to lose, whatever the scenario. Um, but um, we actually probably got more joy immediately after we went down to to ten men. It was it was as if that you know the opposition didn't quite adjust properly. 
we had a couple of really half decent chances. We had one where McLennan just kind of overhits a ball through to Cosgrove and then Main wildly blasts at a sort of semi empty goal from about thirty yards out. Um and you know, another decent opportunity as well. And you're right, it is a bad time, but it would have been a bad goal to lose whenever we'd conceded it because there's no pressure on the cross whatsoever. Um McLennan needs to be closer and needs to be working to close that ball down a bit more. You know, Mackay does well because he gets into sort of area almost between Cosgrove and McKenna. Either's kind of not quite sure who should be picking him up. To me, I think the responsibility in that scenario probably should be McKenna's, but, you know, maybe he'd gone so far over to the left that perhaps Considine should have been aware enough to, to pick him up and try and mark it. Um, it, it seemed to happen a bit in slow motion, frankly, at the game. It, it, the ball just kind of floated in. Mackay's in splendid isolation. He's the only one jumping and uh, finishes it very well, in fairness. But uh, just an awful goal to lose for the first. And then the second half, I mean, we have the, we have the kind of one effort. We have the Lewis Ferguson shot onto the post, which he does very well to create the space for. And then it's a, it's actually, McGinn does brilliantly to, to work something with a rebound and, and it's a fabulous save, um, from the Hibs, uh, the former Hibs keeper Laidlaw. He used to play for Hibs, didn't he? That's right. Stuart is. Anyway, great save from the rebound. And that was really it in terms of us. And then you could just sense the last 20 minutes and maybe this was fatigue playing a part, but the last 20 minutes was County gaining more and more and more control of the game, finding more and more space in our half. And it, it certainly wasn't a surprise when they got the winner. Um, by which point, obviously, so late that McGeoch had actually been brought on to shore up the midfield, but a fat lot of good it, it did us by that point because the direction of travel in the game had been had been set. I mean, Aaron, he makes you no. Know, Richard mentions there, obviously, McGeoch coming on. I mean, McInnes, he waits till the eighty-third minute to bring on a, a second a, a second central midfielder, um, and you know, he did say after the game that you no, know, the players were exhausted after you know the hundred and twenty minutes on the Wednesday before. Uh, but he'd only made three changes to the starting eleven. You know, there, there are there are other options he has. You know, I mean, he's, you know, example he's got. You know, I know Logan didn't play the full 120 minutes, but you know, you've got you know, you've got Hernandez on the bench, Hedges is there, McGeeck, you know, Kennedy, Bruce Anderson. You know, there there were other options there, and you know, it did look like we just ran out of juice at the end. Yeah, I think saying. I mean, he said before the game, and he said after the game, they're all very tired to go home at three in the morning on Thursday. Well. I mean, they're professional athletes, it's their job. And having to do an extra half hour on Wednesday, yeah, you're tired, I get that. But I don't see that playing on Wednesday and then playing on Saturday is unmanageable. I mean, I think that is, I think that goes in the list of McInnes' excuses with long journey, rain, the, all the others. I think that's, I think that's pointless. I actually think, um, most of them didn't look that tired. I think McGinn looked fine. I thought Logan looked good. I think, I think they were running out of ideas. And I think the last 20 minutes or so, it looked a struggle. But I don't think they looked tired. I just don't think they knew what they were doing. The sending off caused issues. But we had half time after that. And surely you can have discussion about where people will go and what people will be doing. It wasn't very well organised. Um, I don't think... I don't think tiredness is a massive excuse. I think there could have been more changes just to rotate things a little bit anyway. We tend to be quite injury prone. But I think the the, the issue is probably if we'd made loads of changes and we basically started what would have been almost a reserve team of sorts, 
then everyone would have been saying he's not taking it seriously, giving up on the league, looking at the cup. And actually, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because we will possibly get third, but it won't be because of our own doing or because of everyone else's rubbish. I don't understand what Hedges has done. What does he have to do to get a game? I think he's all right. I think he hasn't been as brilliant as I thought he was going to be, but I don't understand why he's on the bench every week. I think he's probably fairly good. I think, I think Matt Kennedy was on the bench because he was knackered on Wednesday and was clearly struggling. But in general, I would say Anderson as well. So even if he wants Cosgrove to get game time, he could have started Anderson. He could have started Anderson instead of Maine just to rotate things. I don't think there's any harm in that. You can't make three changes and then say the players are tired because, well, if they were tired, you knew that before. So I just, I think the whole thing was just a bit of a mess. It was back to not really knowing what we're doing, scoring a goal, and then the red card just dropped to things a bit. But then being behind and just not being sure what to do. Some people, 83 minutes as well. You're going to play, what, seven minutes? I don't really see the point. I think if there's a need for it, it's come before then. And if at 83 minutes you think, I mean, what's it going to do? I don't really see the purpose. And it, I think it starts to look a bit desperate. I um, I would say the league is a secondary focus now on the basis that we're not going to be able to... We've left it far too late to do anything worth doing. Celtic Rangers are miles and miles embarrassingly clear. And we are in, what we fourth, Motherwell's point clear because of... Motherwell being shocking and because of generally teams around us being poor. To think that we've got 41 points. We must have won. We're on 10 or 11 games. I actually couldn't think of 10 or 11 games we won. It has been a very bad season. And the fact that we pulled out performances... I mean, the 2-2 with Rangers, the Ibrox 0-0. And actually, although we lost to Celtic, a great performance. And yet we're losing to like St. Johnson at home. with St. Mirren, shocking results. The Ross County won bad. Motherwell... I mean, it is bad to say, oh, we should be beating St Johnston. But actually, we had a draw with them when they went down to nine men. A draw with Hearts, who are bottom, when they went down to ten men. We should be winning those games. It's, it is it is mad to think that we're not going there expecting to win them and hoping to win them and planning to win them. So I think the league has been probably our worst season under Denny McInnes in terms of league performances. It's a pretty it's becoming a pretty dramatic tail off though. That's that's the real problem. We're back to kind of where we were before he arrived. We're back to the teams such as Ross County, St Johnston, Motherwell, pitching up at Petaudry and winning. That's something which, you know, ne- was never happening when I when I grew up and then it seemed to just start in season ninety four, ninety five when we nearly got relegated. That teams like that would come up to Petaudry and they'd go home with all three points. I mean, Christ, when I first started going, we barely lost a goal at Petaudry, let alone lost a game. And um, that it never left us for about 20 years until McInnes actually pitched up and we started being able to put away those teams and we started being able to... Uh, and then after the first season, we started being able to deal with teams who came up here and sat everyone behind the ball and we started being able to, to take those teams apart as well. And the last probably 18 months, we've... We struggled there, and now we're reaching the point where those struggles of the last 18 months seem to have almost caught up with us, and we're now back to losing games like that again. So it's, it, it's become a, this is the first point in his tenure where, where I'm genuinely concerned about the progress, or indeed lack of it. It would be no, I think it would be very Aberdeen to go and win the cup now, to have the worst season we've had and win the cup. My concern is now Europe, to be honest, because. 
we're not miles clear in fourth and we are definitely getting worse, which is bizarre. I Until the Killy game, the Hearts game on the first day was probably the highlight of the season. Beating Hearts 3-2 in a late win at home and look how bad they are. It's bizarre. Our opponents on Saturday um, have had their last two results have been the decent results against Motherwell, annoyingly. Um, St Mirren, uh, they put Motherwell out in the last round of the Cup. Um, that and Another crazy Scottish Cup game. It was 4-4 after extra time and um, they managed to knock, they knocked them out on pens. Um, and then they beat them yesterday, um, on Tuesday, um, with a, a good away win. Um, we've Our record this season, Richard, is... Um, it's not great at St Mirren Park. Um, we've lost 1-0 and we've drawn there. But... I'm going to try and be positive. Um, I've said this before, Richard. It's the Scottish Cup, May 9th. It's going to happen. Please, no, convince, convince me otherwise. Do you want it to happen? Do you want it to happen in a season where the Scottish Cup isn't the final game of the year? Will that not just be weird? I just, I, Richard, I want this more than I want anything in the world. Same. We've never won it in my lifetime. I'm obviously only kidding, but um, we all want us to go there on Saturday night and, and put in a really commanding performance and dominate the game and win 3 or 4-0 and wow the watching public. But equally, I don't care whether we shit-fest our way through this on 2 nil nils and a penalty shootout. Um, <laughs> the, the issue, I think, largely in the league games against them has been that they have not come out and we have not shown the invention or the creativity to break them down over the course of two games there. So this time, they're not going to come out. Of course not. If we, the game plan is just going to be exactly the same. So there's less onus, I think, on us this time to actually go out and win the game at the first time of asking. And, you know, whilst I want us, obviously, to win the game at the first time of, ask, at time of asking, I want us to be positive, and the concern is that that plays into their hands in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. I mean, no, but it's what I suppose it's one of those, no... In, in, in lesser Aberdeen times, I suppose you would say, when we've not been great, it's you no. Know, if you go to one of these kind of tricky away places, it's you know a nil nil isn't the worst thing. You know we get them back, we get them back to Pitodry, and then we can turn them over. That said, with the home form at the moment, uh, I'm not. I'd sure like to say, are we are we great at home? Or necessarily like? a winning strategy. Um, I don't think I don't think it matters where we play. We're very bad. Um, yeah, it, it's a concern because they are they are not going to change their approach for us. He obviously has a strategy, the St Mary manager, that he uh, has worked against us and he's going to keep playing that way. And, you know, it's fair to say, obviously, they won that first game. It wasn't a, it wasn't a nil-nil. So they will be... They will have belief that they can um, come and, and sneak something on the counter again. And um, they were very dangerous on the counter in that first game. Less so in the second one, as I recall. But um, St Mary will be well-drilled. They'll have a lot... To play for, they'll be at home. They'll probably have a decent crowd backing them. Uh, the Scottish Cup's important to St Mirren as well. The Scottish Cup's important to a lot of teams out there this season, and that's the concern. You know, it's uh, not just us, but the, you know, the team um, playing out of Ibrox probably desperately need the Scottish Cup as well to almost rescue their season. Celtic wants uh-huh. it for yet another treble. Hearts want it to take down to the Championship. You know, there's a lot of teams <laughs> out there who are desperate for the Scottish Cup for their own ends. And we're just one of them. I don't think we'll be lacking on desire to win. I don't think we'll be lacking on will to win. But being able to execute the, the quality that I still believe that we have when it matters, we've not been very good on that. I think you're right. On paper, it's, you think, right, this is good. So the teams that are left in it, you would have been thinking that is one of I mean, Cali are, Cali are not bad. I would say Cali St Mirren would be the two that you'd be thinking, right, they're the easier draws. 
in terms of we should be able to beat them. But I remember after feeling horrific when I came back from Croatia, going to Paisley on one of the worst August days I've had like seen in my life, chucking it to absolutely horrendous weather and seeing us lose one nil and not having a shot and being dreadful. And they got a point off us at home, um, no, away again, yeah, in January because we just, I mean, we didn't do very much at all. So in terms of our record, I actually think if we were playing Rangers, we'd probably up our game and manage to get something out of it. Look at last year in the Cup. I do not think that um, we can think, right, it's an easy enough side, it's an easy enough draw. It's a hard place to go to. I don't really like going, there seems to be enough nowhere, it's not great. Um, I don't think their pitch is great, their pies aren't good. It's not an easy trip, to be honest, to make. And I don't think that you know, a lot of teams will have a tough away draw and they will think, right, we get a nil-nil, fine, we get a home replay. But I don't think that would serve us well either. And if we're tired after having to play two games in a week, we can't be having any more fixture pile-ups. So I think it'll be interesting. I really like the 7.20 kickoff time. And I think the Scottish Cup is so exciting. And I think everyone loves it. And people who say stuff like, oh, but we don't deserve it, we didn't play well, I couldn't care less. I don't care if we get a penalty, we don't deserve when we win. It doesn't matter. A win is a win. And I think that the Scottish Cup has to be the focus really now because I think if we'd gone out of Achilles, there would have been serious questions about Denver McInnes' job given that we are going, getting worse every week in the league. If we win the Scottish Cup, I'm not saying that means that some of the dreadful league results are fine, but people won't remember. If we win the Scottish Cup, it will be absolutely phenomenal. Um, we've never won it in my lifetime. I can't tell you how much I care about winning it. This is such a good chance to at least get to Hampden. And then you never know. There are one-off games, basically. I, on, I'm, on, I honestly just have... And I have a good feeling about it this year. I really do. I really do have a feeling. I keep seeing stuff about, like, stats and things. And I just feel like it could be our year. Well, that's two of you. That's good. That's a start. Are you not feeling the same? I don't know if we'll ever win another game of football ever again, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> well... We might not, but we could... No, Nelson penalties. She says we're absolutely fine. Oh, don't get me wrong. If we don't score another goal in this competition but somehow win it, I'll take that. But I'm dealing with Ryan Jack missing the final crucial penalty kick in the final at hand, and that's, that's kind of featuring quite heavily in my dreams. But <laughs> oh, I just... I honestly just have a feeling about it. You know the stuff you see people posting on Twitter that's normally nonsense, but people keep saying stuff, and every time I see it, I think, yeah, that's correct. I'm go- it's making me go a bit mad. People keep posting st- I saw this week, Liverpool haven't won the league since 1990. Aberdeen haven't won the Scottish Cups, and I thought, there you go, see? It means nothing. But I just, I think this, you get so carried away with the Cup, especially the Scottish Cup. The League Cup's good as well, but the Scottish Cup is just, like, it is magical. The Cup is great. You don't get you don't get any points for looking nice and neat and professional. You just need to win. And I honestly have a feeling on the kind of ha- one game away from a hand and bullshit because that that's that's nothing. That's meaningless. Okay, <laughs> but it's true. Playing at Hamden is is pointless. We are not Dundee United. We do not celebrate just getting to Hamden. No, but if we get to the semi final, we can get to the final. It's all going to be fine. You get semi finals. Great, you're getting closer to the actual goal of winning it. That's that's all it is, and you know you have to get to these points to win it. And it's better to get further on, even though it's painful as hell. But it's better to get to semis and and finals rather than lose in in the early rounds. That's absolutely agreed. But just getting to Hamden should never be something that an Aberdeen team celebrates. And you know I know that we went an awful long time without getting to a final, or without winning semi-finals, or even getting to semi-finals at times, but yeah, 
Um, let's set the sights a little bit higher than that. Of course it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult on Saturday night to break through a, a St Mirren team who will be well drilled, who seem to have the measure of us down in Paisley this year. Uh, this is an expensively assembled Aberdeen team. It's about time they started to deliver. We are one win away from the seventh round, two wins away from the eighth round. I think it's very important we all remember that. <laughs> it's the quarterfinals and it's the last it 16. Is. What is, why, it's... stop calling it the sixth round. How's that even allowed? So we'll, we'll, we'll just go back to what you said earlier, earlier and say, look, we're going to, we'll do it. And that's good enough for me. Um, I believe Richard doesn't want to admit it, but I'm sure Richard believes as well. Um, come, come five o'clock on May the 9th, we're all going to be, we're all going to be, 100% believers. Okay, so that's where the conversation left off ahead of the St. Mary's Cup tie. As I say, we got back together again on the Sunday afternoon. Some of us feeling slightly the worse for wear after a rather over the top Saturday uh, to discuss what went on in the wind and the rain of Paisley on Saturday evening. And so we find ourselves post match recording this the day after the the quarter-final victory over St Mirren. Just found out the draw as well 20 minutes ago. So um, all very, it's all very exciting. But we're going to we'll talk about the game first, Richard. We we, we kind of joked about it when we when we kind of we previewed the game. Um, just how drunk were the support there? <laughs> There'll be some sore heads today. I've, I've little doubt about that. Um, yeah, it, it's a it's a it's a really good combination for um, a certain section of the away support. Anyway, I know it's not ideal for. For families per se, but I mean, that, that was a good day out yesterday, absolutely. It was uh, obviously helped by the result coming through from Tynecastle, that definitely buoyed things up, and then we made a really, really strong start, which was good to see. It was a really positive start, it showed our intent, and I think as well, just getting that goal early, and it was a brilliant goal from Lewis Ferguson, but it also, it kind of ruins St. Mirren's game plan a bit, because I think as we'd spoken about when we discussed it last week before the game, that the last twice we played them down there, they've just relied on sitting in and like pretending to be the away side. And by scoring early, it meant that we could just sit up, uh, shut up shop. They didn't really have any answers to that. But yeah, good atmosphere, good crowd, and because we want to go up early, it was nice and positive. I thought. Aaron, no, I mean that we will just talk about that opening goal um, from Lewis Ferguson. No, what a, what a finish from him outside of the foot. Um, and Richard says there, it just. It completely changed, it had to change St Mirren's approach to the game, didn't it? Uh, people often say the whole, oh, I think they scored too early thing, and, you know, scoring one is fine, but it's often not enough. And going 1 0 up that early, I wouldn't say that we looked like, come half time, it didn't look like it was going to be a 4 5 0. But the goal as well, because you know, St Mirren is so, although they've got a new stadium, they've built it really low down, at least Hamilton's, with the steps, you get not a bad view. I think it was really hard to see anything at the other end of the park. So you knew the um, goal went in, you knew it was Ferguson, but I didn't see how good the strike was until I'd watched it back. And Mike Kennedy's run is fantastic. Really good bit of play, really nice, great shot. It's what we've all been screaming at Lewis Ferguson to do in front of goal every game. And every time he's done it recently, his shooting's been really off. It was, yeah, a really good goal. I don't really think there were many other particularly kind of nervy moments, nerves of us having a good shot and their keeper needed to do too much. It wasn't really a game that looked like, right, we scored one early, we're going to score another five. But again, I don't think St Mirren actually really troubled us. You'd have thought, I thought they were going to equalise at least 
early-ish on and then we'd have to try and do something. But they never really looked as though they were that panicked about it. No, we defended it. We defended very well. I think we have to give give our team credit on what was a filthy, filthy night, first half in particular. Um, it was a night ripe for making mistakes and uh, making errors to decide the game. What I thought was really noticeable was that we really tried to reduce the number of uh, balls played back to Joe Lewis um, during the game. Quite often, centre-halves might have had the option to do that, but instead they decided to, even if they were quite tight in a corner, decided to try and play upfield and get territory rather than risk going back to the keeper. I thought we played the conditions sensibly, but yeah, just that impetus of going out early, scoring early, and I, I really do think it upset how St Mirren had to approach the game. Obviously, of course, there's a little bit of a frustration that we got, I think, a little bit too preoccupied with sitting on what we what we had for the uh, for most of the rest of the half, most of the rest of the game. But really, it was a it, it was a bit of a textbook in game management because St Mirren being set at that challenge is trying to break down the bank of four and then the bank of five really didn't seem capable of doing so, and it was going to take. A mistake, I think, from one of our uh, from one of our defenders to let them in, and we just didn't allow them that. So I think on a night like that, I think you have to give credit to the defensive performance. You have to give credit to the quality of the strike from Lewis Ferguson, and yeah, just a, a very professional team display, almost kind of what we've been calling for, just a, a, a no nonsense, two no win at, at an awkward but eminently winnable venue. And just handled really pretty well from start to finish, I thought. Um, not too many complaints at all. What I suppose what the, the black spot in the evening um, would be, of course, um, Aaron is Scott McKenna going off injured. Uh, but don't think we've had any real word. But obviously he pulled up, you know, looks like it's, it's, obviously it's his hamstring. He pulled up running back, chasing for the ball. That's, you know, hopefully it's just a, hopefully it's just a minor strain and not anything, anything really important. Because, you know, we, can, we, we really need Scott McKenna and firing on all cylinders, don't we? Well, um, I think we know who the alternative would be, and I don't think he's been the level that we would want or expect. I mean, you would hope that, well, I'm really hoping it's not serious. I'm very much club over country, but I am conscious we've got um, internationals coming up and he would surely be playing. I think having Michael Devlin play there is going to be a little bit nervy. He has not been anything like how... He was. It's not as though he has never been great and we've all thought he was a poor sight. He's been pretty good and just seems to have been off it a lot recently. What, when's Greg Lee back? If Greg Lee can just play left back, then Andy Constantine can play centre half and he'll be happy and everyone will be pleased. But we've not heard about Greg Lee for a while, so I'm not sure how close he is to coming back. There was chat about it being about two months and him being back in training. We are actually probably slightly light on the ground in terms of defenders after probably being light the other way. So it might be a good thing in a sense that we will probably, well, we we're going to have to probably in the summer look for at least a centre half and maybe look at actually getting a left back if Greg Lee is going to be unavailable or is going to play a lot higher up. But, I mean, we could just play three at the back. It seems to be our new thing. I think would be the absolute end of the world if Taylor just covered the middle. And obviously it's really hard to know right now um, the extent of McKenna's injury. I think he's gone for a scan on Monday. I, I suppose you look for signs and the fact he was able to just walk off the park and didn't seem to have too, you know, maybe it wasn't that serious a tear because of that because he seemed to be, you know, not hurtling away, not hurtling off the ground. Almost impossible to say though until, until we get the, the proper diagnosis on Monday. But yeah, hopefully... 
I, I don't have over the next four league games they, they are very important league games and we want to win them obviously we can go a long way to deciding our league future but I, I really need I want him back in for that semi-final absolutely Richard have to talk another goal for Sam Cosgrove yes it may be from the penalty spot um, but um, there is no you can't put a, you can't put a price on a striker who knows where the back of the net is can you yeah, you've, you've always got to score them, and it's not quite as easy as you make out. And that's ten from ten in uh, open play, normal play this season. Less said about his penalty shootout effort at Tencastle, the better, obviously. It's a very well struck penalty. He also does well to win the penalty. I think we should we should note as well from what was a, a very lacklustre performance against Ross County the week before. Obviously, Curtis Main got the nod to start, and he did pretty well with what limited service he got. He he worked the channels pretty well. He harassed. He harried. Uh, he had a decent chance in the, before we even scored. He probably should hit the target there. Um, and then Cosgrove, just minutes before the, the penalty, we went two up top, which I thought was actually a really interesting change from, from McInnes, because I think he recognised that we had dropped just maybe a little too deep at that point, and he wanted to put a bit more pressure on the centre-halves. So the thing you might expect him to do would be bring on another, another defender or maybe replace some tired legs with another defensive midfielder. But no, he took off Dean Campbell and went with Cosgrove and Main up front. And I think that did lead us to after a second half where we had, again, not looked in any particular danger, but had perhaps dropped just too deep, spent too much time preoccupied with defending. Got us up the pitch, we created a sort of chance that Cosgrove could have finished before the penalty. And then we do well to pounce on a mistake, Cosgrove bursts in the box. He, he goes down at the slightest contact. We've criticised him for that in the past, but that's what you kind of expect your striker to do in that uh, situation when it comes to comes to the penalty area and it is a penalty uh, it, it's soft and it's cheap but it is a penalty and he, and he takes it and puts it away well 23 for the season I'm not going to knock the fact that 10 of those are penalty kicks you absolutely have to score them and if that uh, the scoring the penalty kicks here and at Kilmarnock get them off and running again then great and so, of course, that put us into the draw. Uh, today's draw went alongside, um, well, there was obviously Celtic as well. They were playing today against the Beach St. Johnston. Put us in the draw alongside the two Edinburgh yo-yo clubs and the champions. And um, when we find ourselves the weekend, the 11th and the 12th semi-final, we'll be playing Celtic. I'm, I'm still, I'm still positive about this one, Aaron. Um, I don't think there's any real. I know there's obviously lots. Of, no, there is. There are worries. There are good side and all that. But we, we, I spoke about this last night to you know, some of the guys when we were watching the game. If you're going to win the cup, you're going to have to beat them at some point, aren't you? So why no? We might as well get them out of the way now. Well, they could have had heads and heads could have beat them instead, but um, they do have a decent side, and you can't argue about the fact that they set up well. They you know, they're playing for another treble. They were going to most more than likely be in today's draw, and I don't think you can count on other teams knocking them out because I don't think that's the right way to look at the cup. If Hibs had had them, it would be nice to think, right, Hibs might knock them out, we won't, you know, we'll play Hibs in the final. But I think you just need to focus on what you're doing and winning your games, and you just play who you get. We knocked Rangers out of two cups last year, and would we have wanted to draw them? Not necessarily, but I don't think it really matters. There is no reason why we can't beat Celtic in what is a one-off game, when we can surely look at what we do when we do play them and what we need to do better. We went from the 4-0 in October to... A 2-1, where actually we could have easily won 2-1. We had a 0-0... No, we had 2-1 at Celtic Park. But we had a 0-0 there, and we've won there in the last couple of years. I think, actually, it was one of three teams. And we were either going to play them now or play them in the final. 
And if we play them now and we get to the final, then I think we'll absolutely be thinking we can win it. I still think we can win it. Well, yeah, of course. It's tough. We are in this competition to win it. We are not in this competition to pat ourselves on the back for just having reached the semi-final. We need to be thinking that we have a path to winning against Celtic in the semi-final. And I, I believe we do. I believe we can win. Yes, it's not the easiest draw. Yes, it will be difficult to win that game. But I... I I've seen enough from the last game at Pitodri to suggest that there is a path there and there is a mentality also within the team that believes they can do it too. And the support has to turn up believing it as well. The support can't just think it's a, a big day out. You know, leave saying, ah, well, we, we made the semis, no one, no one can uh, have a go at us. Because, frankly, beating Dumbarton, St Mirren and Kilmarnock to reach this stage... It's, uh, they were not straightforward ties, they were not gimmies, absolutely not, but it was an inviting draw for an Aberdeen team and I would be expecting an Aberdeen team to reach this stage. It's just, it's the argument, isn't it, about whether it's, um, it's a success to reach the semi-final. I don't, I don't believe it is. I don't believe that this is a team who should be being lauded for having, for having reached that point, to be perfectly honest. But I also think that in some respects, it's probably better to face them in the semi rather than the final, because I think if there's a chance of their focus being anything less than 100%, it's going to be in the semi rather than in the uh, last match. Yeah, I, I, I think I totally echo that, Richard. Um, it's no, it's, it's, this, no, it's, Aaron, this isn't, about, this isn't about the day out for this one, which no... We've we you no know, Richard and I have spoken many times on here about you no know, our thoughts about Hamden. Um, neither of us are huge fans of it, um, but it's. I don't think the semi should be at Hamden. I think the final should be at Hamden. I think that's probably a, that's probably another de- debate. I mean, it's, you know, they want you no, know, they want more people there. Um, you know, I th- I'm sure we'll you no, know, no, give it 20 minutes on Twitter, and I'm sure the debate about the amount of tickets we get and stuff will have started again as well. Um, but you know, with a decent, you know, we'll have a decent number of people down there. It's just about it's just about getting through this one now as well. We've had a we've had a relatively I think we've had a, a relatively kind you know, run to the semi final so far. So this is the first real you know, real challenge. Um, but you know it's it is it is winnable. They are they are they are they are beatable. Other teams have managed to get results against them. You know teams that you would say are lesser than Aberdeen. So um, there is plenty to be positive about. Yeah. I... <laughs> It's the whole one-off game thing, isn't it, really? I mean, you see us lose to teams that we played, St Mirren, which had, what, a 1-0 loss and a 0-0 draw, so, um, down there. So there was no guarantee that it was going to be an easy game, and there's no guarantee that Celtic will beat us. I don't see why we can't. I think, um, to get to the final, you have to get to the semi-final, and I think it is an achievement to get to a semi-final of a competition, in that it then puts you in the running to get to the final. I think we should be... I don't think we should be settling for, you know, finishing fourth and getting to semi-final is not great. Finishing third and getting to final isn't bad, but I think we should be looking to win it. If we beat Celtic, there's absolutely no reason why we can't go win the final. Hibs haven't been looking that great at all. Hearts have been bizarre. I mean, yesterday, I don't know how on earth they managed that, but I keep saying we're going to win the Scottish Cup this year and people laugh, but we will. Absolutely, absolutely up for this one, Richard. No, Alexa, eleventh or twelfth April. We're obviously waiting on the date to be confirmed. No, where are you sitting on a, on a scale of positivity on this one? About as possible it is to be against a team who I think we've maybe won one of the last, Christ knows, sixteen or seventeen games against. Because, because I, you know, I, I believe that 
We have the uh, we have the tools to to trouble them, to challenge them. That um, they have been playing very well domestically, but they're not completely impregnable. I watched St. Johnston today come very close to knocking them out, albeit in conditions that are probably going to be a, a bit more favourable than Hamden in. April. This team shouldn't be freezing on these occasions now because this is, um, I think, the ninth semi-final under Derek McInnes, which uh, out of 14 attempts, that's a, that's a decent record. It's a decent record, but it's not an achievement, and I want to make that clarification clear. It's a, it's a decent record. It's better than being knocked out in the fourth round every time, absolutely. And also, the last two Scottish Cup semi-finals we have been to, which have both been omni-shambles for different reasons, the Motherwell game and the Celtic game, we are utterly hamstrung by losing players through suspension, uh, particularly for the Motherwell game, and then a mixture of suspension and injury last year against Celtic. I mean, we were without Logan, Shinney and McLean for the Motherwell game, all through second yellow card suspensions. Shinney again suspended last year, and then we had McGinn and Mackay Stephen missing out through injury. So they, they were huge losses to overcome in terms of our team. Now, okay, We've lost players like Shinny McLean since then, but we have replaced them, and hopefully we can replace them with guys that will step up come the semi-final. But we're not losing anyone as things stand through suspension. We might be without Scott McKenna through injury. Let's hope that's not the case. But we're going to have much, much closer to our first-choice 11 for this one. To win this cup, you have to beat the best teams. Celtic are the best team. It's going to be tough. Yes, I believe we can do it. It would be very, very Aberdeen, of course, to beat Celtic in the semi-final than go and lose to Hearts in the final, wouldn't it? I relegated Hearts at that too. Richard, you you had me convinced there and then you go and add that wee bit at the end. We've not had a great run of semi-finals. We've not had great results against Celtic. That 2-1 game at home in last month was, I I thought we looked really good. Obviously, it's disappointing when it looked like we could actually have won it or at least get a point. But... I thought we put in a really good performance and it was good to see McGinn looked good, Kennedy looked good. The team looked up for it, considering we've had some pretty bad results against teams that we should be able to beat with the talent we've got. I think we'll be fine. There is a will in that dressing room to win this competition. I think they want it, not maybe quite as much as we want it, but I think they want it and they've shown that. They've shown it by you know, what happened at Kilmarnock, they've shown it by battling through yesterday. And it has been a disappointing season on a number of levels. Total redemption can lie this way if we can, if we can um, achieve the two results at Hamden between now and the end of the season. So, so yeah, speaking now, five weeks before the game, and I'm about as confident as, you, as you're going to find me, Martin. I know it's going to be difficult. It's, it's the hardest team we could have drawn, absolutely. But you have to beat these sides if you want to win it. Try and win it without having faced them. That was a total pipe dream. Absolutely. Just to sum up as well, so I think I know. I do think Richard. I think we're all them one. Obviously, winning the cup is what we all want. But just the cherry on top would be to ruin them their treble, treble or whatever it is now. That would just be a nice one, just to get another one up Neil Lennon as well, because we've enjoyed some of that over the years. Aren't they up to four um, now? So yeah. Is it four? <laughs> yeah, I think this would be the quadruple um, treble. Quadruple treble, Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. Scottish, Scottish football. Eh? Yeah, well, the, the the cherry on top would be spo- would definitely be spoiling that as well for them. Um, so, Richard, Richard's positive, Aaron's positive. I'm always positive. I think we're going to. I, I still believe we're going to go win it. We're going to do it, and that's all it is. Until until next time, everybody, come on, you Reds.